Good morning. So we are in the season of Advent, and the series is called A Christmas Invitation. And the big idea is that God is inviting us to experience a different kind of Christmas. So um, every Sunday, it's like, instead of this kind of Christmas, God invites us to a different kind. So instead of just busyness and productivity, this morning God is inviting us to wait and to trust. How many of you guys love that word, wait? You love that word? Now, um, Advent is a season of spiritual preparation. We're waiting for the coming of Christ. It's about waiting. And so today we're talking about waiting. So back to my question. How many of you love like a good long wait? Raise your hands. Like um, high schoolers? How many of you have siblings that take a long time in the bathroom in the morning? Okay, Patty is raising her hand, which means, okay. But look how nicely Jason's hair is. Um, okay, how many of you have spouses? And they take a long time to get ready in the morning to go. And you're, you're waiting for them. You're like, the bus is leaving in five minutes. And, and uh, how many of you have, okay, be careful. My spouse, no, I'm kidding. But my spouse has a spouse who takes a long time. You guys ever go to like a, a wedding and the people who are getting married are a little bit on the older side and inevitably like the best man will get up and say, we've been waiting a long time for this. And everyone laughs, right? I laugh. It's, it's, it's funny. Waiting. How many of you guys love to wait? You know, you know once, uh, not too long ago, Mark Laberton preached this message. I didn't hear the message. But the title was so powerful. The title was, The Christian Life is Spent Waiting. Waiting. Now, if you look at the very big picture, you know it's true. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came on the scene. He lived a brief, extraordinary life. And then he died this torturous death. And then three days later, he resurrected from the grave. He spent 40 days preaching to his disciples, and then he ascended back into heaven with a promise that he would one day come back. And when he would come back, he would fix everything that's broken. So disciples of mine, in the meantime, you are busy working for my kingdom and trying to fix everything that's broken in this world. But when I come back, Jesus said, I will ultimately fix everything. So for about 2,000 years, we've been waiting. So I think it's fair to say that the Christian life is spent waiting because we're still waiting for Jesus to come back. And ultimately fix everything that is broken. So that's the very big picture. Now isn't it true that in the small pictures of life, we're waiting for things? Some of us have been waiting to be matched with a kid for adoption. And we've submitted the papers. And the government just has to get their act together. And one day we'll get the call. And then we go and pick up our kid. And so we've been waiting, waiting Months, seasons, years, waiting. Some of us are waiting to have biological kids. And the, the making of it is fun, but the waiting is not so fun. And we're, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. When is it going to happen? When is the stick going to be positive? Some of us are waiting to be married. 
And uh, we've, we're waiting for God to bring about, you know, Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or just the right person for us. And we've had to say, you know, goodbye to people who weren't Mr. Wright or weren't Mrs. Wright. And we're waiting. And sometimes there was like a shortcut that was offered to us, but we didn't take that shortcut. So we didn't want to settle for God's, for anything less than God's best for us. And so we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. Some of us are waiting to get a driver's license. Anyone here? Just the thought of you guys driving is terrifying. <laughs> but you guys are waiting and we're a little bit terrified by the thought, but you're waiting. Some of us have a loved one. And this person doesn't know Christ or they fell away from Christ and we've been waiting and praying and waiting and praying for them to, to find Christ. To know that their salvation in heaven is, is secure in Jesus and we're waiting and we're waiting and, and, and every year just like, well, I, I, I'm not seeing the kind, but we're waiting and we're waiting. We're waiting to finish school or to find employment or to get a promotion or get the dream job. Or there's someone sick and we're just hoping and waiting and praying for that person to be healed and we're waiting and we're waiting. So let me ask you again, does anyone love a long, good wait? Why don't you turn in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to talk about um, a very, almost like a larger than life figure in the Old Testament. And if you grew up in the church... I know that in Sunday school, you've heard stories about this man. He's an amazing man. You know, he would wear camel's hair, and he would eat bugs for lunch. And he was a bit of a hermit and would spend long stretches of time just meditating on God. He was the prophet Elijah. Now, inevitably, when you hear about the prophet Elijah, you're thinking chapter 18. And... If you, again, grew up in the church, when they were talking about Elijah, they were probably talking about chapter 18. Now, you know what happened in 18. For those of you who don't know, let me give you a little bit of a review. In 18, the prophet Elijah is living like his best life now, you know? It's like his pinnacle moment of his life, his most brilliant moment of his life. He has like a, a bit of a, a throwdown with the prophets of Baal or Baal or Baal, will come Baal. And there's 400 prophets of Baal. One of Elijah. Elijah is a true prophet of Yahweh, 400 pagan prophets, if you will, of Baal. And they have like a showdown, a contest. Now, here are the rules of engagement. Both parties will build an altar, sacrifice a bull, pull the, put the bull on top of the altar, and then you call upon your God. Now, the true God will answer with fire coming down from heaven. Okay, that sounds like a, a, a pretty good contest to see which God is real, right? And so the, the, the prophets go, go, I'm fast forwarding pretty quickly, the prophets of Baal, they, they, they are uh, walking around the, the altar and they're like slashing themselves and they're calling out to Baal, oh God, Baal, answer us. Nothing happens. Elijah goes, okay, it's my turn. Says a prayer. And then this violent column of fire comes down from heaven. And it, it, it licks up the bull, licks up the water around the altar, licks up the altar. Everything is just incinerated. And the, the people go, Yahweh, he is God, right? Because how else are you supposed to respond to that? You know what they do at that moment? They kill all 400 prophets of, of Baal. 
And did I mention there was three years of famine in the land? So three years of a very down economy, a Great Depression, if you will. Elijah prays, and all of a sudden there are torrents. There is a deluge of water that just sweeps across the land. That is chapter 18. But we're actually not going to focus on chapter 18. We are going to focus on the next chapter, which is not as celebrated a chapter as 18, but we're going to focus on that because that's really what happened. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, and I'm going to talk about the day after. Not the day after, but what, what happened after this, the pinnacle moment of Elijah's life. Now we hit chapter 19. Ahab, Ahab was the king, told Jezebel, Jezebel is his wife, all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do make, not make your life as the life of one of them, my prophets who you slaughtered, by this time tomorrow. And then verse 3 says something. It says, then he, Elijah, was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life to Beersheba. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You guys, what just happened here? I, I, I thought chapter 18 happened. He was waiting for this moment for three years. It was a brilliant... 400 prophets of Baal were killed. And then God answered his prayer and water swept through the... What, why, why, why is he like this? Now, Elijah is actually suicidal in this, in this, in this um, chapter. He says, I've had enough. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm through. Lord, just, just take me out. I am no better than my father's. Now, he went from this place, his pinnacle moment, and now he is depressed, he is discouraged, he is disillusioned. You guys, he's suicidal. What happened? Now, let me uh, try to explain Elijah and try to explain the kind of man he was. And I think that'll give us some insight as to how he went from being so high to going to this place that was so low. Elijah was a revolutionary leader. This was a man of big dreams. This guy was a big visionary. Now, he expected big changes. He planned for big changes. He prayed for big changes. And he was expecting something big, something sweeping, and something instantaneous. He wanted national reform. He wanted all of Israel to come back to God. And he wanted it instantly. But what happened? In chapter 19, the, uh, the old king goes back to his wife and, and he saw everything on that mountaintop. But his heart is not changed. And then he tells his wife and his wife is still empowered to threaten Elijah. Now imagine Elijah saying this. The nation rises and falls on leadership. I expected national reform. What are these bozos still doing in place? How are they still in leadership? Why are not, they not replaced by something new? Why is the old guy still in place and his heart is still not changed and she still has power to threaten my life? 
What's going on? It's not going to change unless the leadership changes. The reforms are too insignificant. It's not deep enough. It's too shallow. He is not satisfied with what actually occurred, what actually happened. He is discouraged. He is disinclined. He's disillusioned. Can I ask you something? Have you guys ever been in that place? Have you ever been, like, you felt that if I give my life to God, then at this stage in my life, I will be here, but instead I actually find my life somewhere over around here. Like, I thought I would be married with kids right now. Or I thought that if I had kids, they would turn out a certain way. Or I thought I would be at this point in my career right now. You know, I, I thought I, I should be in this place of convergence where I have my dream job. I expected this person that I've been investing in to actually come to faith and be a thriving Christian. I'm, I'm not seeing it. You ever been in that place where you've been so discouraged with what actually came out? What actually resulted? Chapter 19. Now let me ask you guys a question. How does God deal with people who are discouraged, disillusioned, feel like my life should be here, but it's nowhere near there? Well, let's see how God actually treats Elijah. Now, the first thing that, that he does, and this is where, you know, when I, when I look at what happens, it's kind of like God's kind of like a, 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 an Asian parent, you know? The first thing that he does is he feeds Elijah. It's like all things can be remedied with, like, rice and kimchi, you know? Like, here's some shobazong. That'll heal everything, you know? And so the first thing he does is Elijah takes a nap. And then when he wakes up, he sees, like, a cake of rice and a jar of water by his head. And an angel wakes him up and says, here, eat it, drink it. He eats it, he consumes it, he drinks it, goes back to bed. Now, what's God doing? This is a God, a holistic God who cares for the entire person Part of what we see in here is that his discouragement is just driven by fatigue. God's like, wait, what you need is some rice and kimchi. Here you, here you go. He wakes him up again, and there's more cake, and there's more water. And Elijah needs that for the journey. Now, for f- the next 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah is traveling to the mountain of Horeb. Now, you have to understand what's happening here. He is about to have an encounter with God. Now, this is a very, very big deal. You remember Moses, there was one time where Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. And God said, okay, I'm going to show you my glory, but you're not going to be able to see my face. You can only see my back, my traces. Because if you saw my face, it would incinerate you. You don't want that, but you do want to see me, so I'm going to show myself to you. Now, you have to understand, this is what's about to happen. God's about to show himself to Elijah. But what he does in the showing of himself, you realize, is he is trying to teach Elijah a lesson. Because Elijah at this point is very discouraged, very disillusioned. And God wants to give him a lesson that he will never forget. Verse 11. And so God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold... The Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Can you guys read the next part? But 
but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Can you guys read the next part? And after the earthquake, a fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then in this interaction that Elijah has with God, Elijah gets a last assignment. And the last assignment is twofold. I want you to go and anoint Jehu as king of Israel. And then I want you to go and anoint your successor, Elisha. Now, this is, again, another pinnacle moment of Elijah's life. He's discouraged. He's really disappointed with God. And God comes to Elijah with this unforgettable lesson. Now, what I want you to do is just turn to a neighbor really quickly. And I want you, in your own words, to describe what that lesson is, right? If, if you can do it in an economy of words, what would you say that unforgettable lesson to Elijah was? Go ahead and share. I'm just going to give you like 30 seconds. Go. God is trying to give to Elijah an unforgettable lesson. Now, I I want you to keep this in mind. God is in the fire, right? Because in chapter 18, there was this column of fire that fell from heaven, and we all know that God was in that fire. But what God is saying to Elijah is like, Elijah, you know me as the God of big things, but you don't yet know me as the God of the small things. You know me as the God of the earthquake and the wind and the fire. But do you also know me as the God of the gentle whisper? It's like God saying to Elijah, Elijah, I know you, you, you love the, the, the big things. But can you find me in the small things? I, I know you want instant reform, instant change. But can you celebrate a significant step forward for the nation in a long journey ahead? I know you've been waiting, but can you celebrate small steps forward and continue to wait and trust me? Small steps forward and celebrate them. You know, Raina has a mentor. And from time to time, I will get stuck on a message and I'll call this mentor of Raina's stealing her mentor a little bit. And I'll just say, hey, give me some stories around this. How has this been practical in your life? And without fail, this mentor of Reina's will give me a story. And one time I'm just like, how is it that you always see God and you always have a story of how God's doing something in you and your family, but a lot of other people don't have that sort of experience with God? Like, sometimes when I ask people, hey, how have you seen God at work? They're like, oh, well, in 1983, you know. But you always seem to have a fresh story. Why is that? I will never forget what she said to me. She said, it's not that God does more things for me than for other people. She said, it's it's just that I notice. She goes, 
my mother taught me to notice the everyday, ordinary miracles of God. Just the small, everyday stuff. Can I ask you guys something? Do you think it's possible that every day God is doing these small miracles, everyday miracles, mundane, low whispers, and you're missing it? Do you think that's possible? Do you think it's like, I'm ready for the earthquake, I'm ready for the thunder, and God gives you the low whisper, and you're missing it. <laughs> and so there's, there's everyday experience of God, and we're missing it because we're expecting the big fire and the big miracle. But God gently whispers, and we just, we're missing it all the time. I was talking to a, a home group leader in our church, and just saying, you know, what, what's happening in your home group? And she was really excited. And she said, well, uh, not too long ago, my, my home group, we Skyped in this missionary, and this missionary was telling us their story. And then at the end of the time, there was this person, and you wouldn't really necessarily think it would come from this person, but this person went to the, the, the front of the group and said, you know, I think we should pray for the missionaries. But it wasn't more like that. It was more like, we need to pray for these missionaries like now. And so this person led the group in prayer. Now, I'm hearing this, and I, I have to admit, part of me was like, okay, it's not really a story where this guy, like, gave away everything they had to the poor, surrendered their bodies to the flames, or like, hey, I'm going to go on a missionary and be in China. But it was a small whisper, and she saw God in that whisper, and she was so happy about a small thing. And I was amazed by that. I'm like, I got to learn from you. You guys, you ever, like... You ever, I don't know, for those of you who give Bible studies, you ever give like a Bible study and then as you're, you're thinking about the Bible study, you suddenly realize that the person who most needs to hear this lesson is me. You ever be like that? Oh my gosh, I'm reading this story and I'm like, I know the message is for me, but I'm so resisting it. I, I don't, I'm resisting it. You know, I think it's good for like you guys, some of you here. But uh, I get the sneaking feeling that God's, God's wanting me to hear it. Uh, you guys remember like a year and a half ago, we did this new series on the Holy Spirit. And I was really excited about this series, you know. And, and part of what made me excited is that right before the series, I was praying. And I had what I thought was a vision from God about Raina, my wife, pregnant. And my first response was, oh, no, God wants us to have number four, you know. That was my first response. But then I felt like God was saying, no, 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 no. That's the church. The church is going to go through some new life. So as we were entering that series, I was really excited. And I kept on throwing the word kind of loosely, like revival, you know. We're going to go through a revival. And we went through 15 weeks on the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, I, at the, okay, I'm, I'm just being very honest with you here, okay. I was, near the end of the series, kind of disappointed. I was expecting, like, a revival, and it wasn't exactly that. And I felt like God was convicting me. And he, he continues to convict me because I want big things. I want sweeping changes. And I want it now. I'm like the, the classic American. Instantaneous results, right? And God's like, can you just see... And celebrate the small steps of change that are happening. Can you see me in the small stuff? I know you want the big sweeping changes, but can you celebrate the small and delight and find me in the small? You know what happened at the end of the series? 
we had this time to, to share what God was doing in our lives. And, and Gordon got up. And he shared about how he was going through some breakthroughs. Do you know that I've been praying for Gordon for years and years? And then he got up and he wanted to share with his whole church a small, significant breakthrough. It's like he's saying, it's like God was saying to me, Pastor Andrew, can you see me in the small? Can you celebrate the gentle whispers? Or are you only finding me in the big fires? Because if you do that, you're going to be disillusioned and disappointed maybe for a long time if you can't find me in the everyday small, gentle whispers. Hey, this year we have a prayer team. We didn't have one last year. Can I celebrate the small incremental changes? No, I want the big stuff. I'm learning, okay? This message is for me. And it's also for Elijah. And it's also for all of us. But let me ask you something. Do you think Elijah got the message? You know what's crazy? Now, this is weird for me because I actually named my middle son's middle name Elijah. But the more I'm finding about this story, it shocks me. Elijah never got it. Now, this is my interpretation, but I think it's well-founded. Did he ever get out of the funk? No. He was still expecting the big. He was not satisfied with the God of the small. No, let me give you, let me, let, me, let, me, let me present my case here, okay? When God calls him, so he stands up and listens to the voice of the Lord. You know what he does? He takes his jacket and he wraps it around his head. Now, that doesn't really make sense. You know, remember Moses, he was so hungry to see the face of God. And when God revealed himself, he didn't want anything obstructing his view. Elijah was very happy to put a jacket around his head. He has checked out. He is disillusioned. He's, he's, he's on his way to becoming a bitter old man. I actually think he continued in his bitterness. Because God gave him that mission, remember? Go anoint Jehu and go anoint your, your successor, Elisha. Did he do the first one? He didn't do the first one. Did he do the second one? Yeah, but you, when you read it, you kind of get this feeling that he was hesitating. What does God do with his servants who are bitter, who are disappointed? I want you to see the grace of God. When it's time for Elijah to come home, how does God take him home? I know, Elijah, you still love the firecrackers. You still love the fireworks. I know you still love the earthquake and the fire and the wind. I'm going to take you home in a chariot of fire. You're going to love that. And then hundreds and hundreds of years later, remember, Elijah and his heart and soul, he wanted national reform. He wanted restoration of Israel. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, the great deliverer, the Messiah that everyone was waiting for, he came on the scene. He appeared. And then on a mountaintop, this Savior was revealed for his glorious self. And he, was, he suddenly started beaming glorious white. And there were two people on that mountaintop who were talking with, with Jesus. Who were they? Moses, another bitter person, by the way, and Elijah. Now, you imagine Elijah's like, I've been waiting all my life 
And I did not see. And then he looks at Jesus Christ. And you imagine him going, now I get it. When he stared into the face of the Redeemer, of the perfect Messiah, the person that was going to bring the sweeping changes ultimately, and not just to the nation, but to the entire world. And Elijah had a chance just to see him face to face on that mountaintop in all his glory. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think at that moment, Elijah kind of went, you know, okay, but I still think that my plan was better. I still feel like what I wanted was, no. I think at that point, Elijah was like, I was so stupid. And I was so bitter for so long. I should have just waited and trusted you. Can you you guys hear God speaking to you? Wait. Trust me. Celebrate the small incremental steps. I'm not just God of the big hurricane. I'm God of the gentle whisper. Don't miss me every day. The small everyday miracles. You can miss it. Don't miss it. God is not just God of the fire, the wind, and the hurricane but the God of grace that comes to you every day in the gentle whisper. Open your eyes to see the ways that he speaks to us. Now, what I'd like to do for the next five minutes is I'd like for us to enter into a time of reflection. And I wrote three questions in the bulletin. I thought that a great gift that I could give to everyone here during Advent is five minutes of silence. Five minutes of silent reflection. I I want you prayerfully to address three questions, okay? The first question is this. What have you been waiting and hoping for in 2013? Can you recognize God's presence through small incremental steps forward on these hopes for change? And so what I want you to do right now is just think back on the year. Not just the big sweeping things, but the small gentle whispers of God. What are the small incremental changes? Did a person go up to the front of the group who you never expected to go and just pray for the missionaries? Can you celebrate the small things now and say, God was there, and I'm going to delight in that and find joy in that and wrap myself in in, in that small God setting? Question number three, what might the still small voice of God be saying to you through this reflection? Okay, five minutes, just reflecting, just listening to God, just recognizing the low whispers. And as we do that, I'm going to ask the worship team just to come forward and just to play some um, background music for us. Let's spend this time with, with God. Let's reflect.